Hello and welcome to Kinship Connects, a podcast from Seventh-day Adventist Kinship. We invite you to join us as we share our stories and our journeys. My name is Floyd Punitz, and today it is my great privilege to speak with Matt Zagabart. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for sharing with us, Matt. Thanks, it's good to be here. Yeah, hey, we've known each other for a few years now, so yes, it's like sharing, sharing with an old friend, so that's, that's a good feeling. Yeah. It's a good feeling. So uh, tell me now, um, where are you located? Uh, I see your name says Vancouver, Washington. So uh, tell us yes. a little bit about where you are right now and what's going on with your life currently. Living in the Pacific Northwest. So love it up here, Vancouver area. That's where, you know, I spend most of my days. So uh, it's easy to get out to the coast, easy to get to the mountains, um, do a lot of things along the river and uh, Columbia River. So yeah. Cool. Cool. Very pretty area. Very pretty yes, area. Yeah. yeah. I've lived a lot of places. And for me, this kind of checks all the boxes. So. Oh, good. Good. Uh, okay. For a long time, I was like, I'm not sure where I'm from, having grown up in Colorado and various places and people to ask. But now I'm like, no, I'm from I'm from Vancouver. It, it feels like, home, huh? It feels like home. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good deal. Well, you mentioned Colorado. So let me take yes. you back to a couple years to when your childhood and tell us a bit about growing up and uh, your family, stuff like that, whatever you want to share. Um, yeah, Cortez, Colorado is where my grandparents were at. That's where I was born also. Um, and it was just always a place I came back to, whether it was to visit grandma and grandpa, um, family, you know, Christmases, that kind of thing. Um, we did a lot of stuff there in the La Plata Mountains, go to Telluride, you know, it was always just the stomping grounds to come back to. Mm -hmm. And then once I got my uh, religion degree and started pastoring, I actually went back and pastored the church there um, for a while. So it was kind of interesting. The, the story goes when I was young um, and we lived there, my parents were there, of course, and we had kind of a ranch at the time. We had horses and uh, lived out in the middle of nowhere, uh, up above Dolores, but we'd come down and go to church. And I'd often apparently not be super happy in church. And they'd ask why. And my answer was, well, because the pastor gets to do all the talking. Um, <laughs> and I, I didn't like, love that. So, you know, when I went back to Cortez and pastored there, I kind of made that wrong, right. You know, I got to do all the speaking. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. Okay. Very good. So uh, tell me about your Adventist pedigree. As I understand it, I'm third generation Adventist. Um, my grandparents um, converted uh, from Mormonism, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then my parents, uh, my dad's a pastor, um, and then myself. So that makes cool. it third generation, right? Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. So, okay, so you, you mentioned that you pursued a pastoral degree and, and path. Did you do that because your dad was a pastor? Or do you remember hearing God calling you saying, huh. hey, Matt? Well, you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think the short answer is it's what I was familiar with. Okay. Um, I, I grew up in the church. I enjoyed many aspects of working in the church. You know, um, my dad went back to college when I think I was about eight and went out to PUC and um, everything. But um, when I went and registered for classes as a freshman, I walked in the door uh, and I didn't know what I was going to major in. Right. Well, I found myself standing at the Greek table and uh, thought, well, I guess I'll sign up and walked out of the room like, well, I guess I'm a theology major. Um <laughs> So in a way, that's, I mean, that's, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but I think it was because it was familiar. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, growing up, I, I saw a lot of meaningful things that took place um, in the church and, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, cool, cool. So a PK. That's me. Pastor's kid, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you went to PUC, you said? Is that right? Or My dad went to PUC. Uh -huh. um, I went to CUC out in uh, Maryland. Uh, for okay. three years, and then I went to two years. At, I graduated at Union. Okay. From, okay. Yep. And then Andrews? Did you go? I to did Andrews? not go to Andrews. Okay. Um, Lucky I, one. Okay. Well, 
that was, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. <laughs> I wanted to do a master's in worship studies because that was one of the things that I, that I spent a lot of time with in, mm-hmm. in ministry was doing uh, worship conferences. I got trained with natural church development. Um, I did some with church planting, but going to Andrews and getting, getting the uh, MDiv just, it didn't feel like a match for me. So right. I didn't go. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how's your Greek today? I use it at almost every day. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> cool. I was cool. not the best Greek student, to be honest. Oh, okay. Languages okay. are not my my giftedness. Yeah. English is, it, it, with English, you do just fine. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Good. I can't speak German, so well, that's, hey, your, that's your original. That, that's right? that's my forte. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So how many years were you a pastor? Um, I graduated in 2001 and then stepped away from ministry. I was in Kirkland, um, Washington in 2014. So about 13 years as official, you know, card carrying credentialed, you know, pastor, um, in college and everything, I was always on the student association and, you know, always had those kind of roles, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, are you still card carrying credentialed? Well, yes, until they change that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. If so we, we skipped ahead. So a little bit. Ahead. Yeah. 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 So let, let's go back a ways. Um, uh, since this is a kinship podcast, uh, tell us about when you, yeah, started feeling different or, or, you know, what might have applied to, what words did you apply to that feeling? Mm-hmm. I appreciate the sensitivity of the way you worded that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, this podcast, this interview has been something you and I have talked about for a while. And I know, you know, I, I plan to tell my story. And for years, as you know, Floyd, um, I feel like I've wanted to, because as we share story, it allows other people to be seen as well. I will admit a certain level of um, anxiety, even as we begin this, um, but I'm leaning into it because I think it matters and I think it's important. So um, I just want to acknowledge that on the front end and also say this hasn't been a super easy journey for anybody who's been on this kind of journey you understand. Um, so your, your question was, when did you start to, to feel or sense that there might be some changes in the air? Is that in right, essence right. what you asked? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, when I stepped away from ministry in Kirkland, I, I loved pastoring. There were many, many things about pastoring that I really enjoyed, but um when I stepped away and came down here to the Vancouver area, there was, it was a time of transition for uh, Susan and I and the kids, right? And I got into real estate and I just, I knew I wanted to do something different. I'd planned to go into counseling, counseling, something I'd always been interested in. I always, I enjoy, you know, understanding people and personality types and Myers-Briggs and you know, all those kind of things. We grew up talking personality plus with Florence Litauer and, you know, sanguine melancholy, all those things. Um, But I knew in 2014 that something was different. Something was changing. Um, Ministry wasn't working for me. I, I loved the people there. I loved the music. The potlucks were amazing. (laughs) Just, just good things. But I remember sitting in my office one day after a particularly contentious board meeting. And I almost felt like I heard an audible voice saying, this isn't ministry. This is politics. This is something different. And that's no shade. That's no um, anything on the church. But those of us who've done ministry, we understand that, right? There's a lot of things, carpet colors and, you know, placement of flower arrangements that it's like, really, this is, this is what we're, um, so when I came down here, I knew that there was going to be some changes. So to make a long story short, my, my sister moved to town and, um, have three small kids and my sister's also, um, gay. So 
ta-da, there it is. That's the first time I said it publicly. Also implies, yep, me too. Okay. Um, And she moved to town with her wife and I wanted to spend some time with, with her and the kids. They had a mini farm and for a lot of reasons, a lot of valid reasons, a lot of good reasons, um, that became a discussion point for my wife and I. Um, should we do that? Should we not do that? What about the influence? There were other dynamics, personal dynamics. Um, but because of our inability to agree on that particular um, family dynamic, we sought counseling. Like, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we come to an agreement on, on how to, you know, spend time with the kids, family, all those kind of things. That started Susan and I on a couple year counseling journey where we, we were doing good. We were going through, you know, faith, family, fun, finances, parenting, you know, we were covering all the, all the parenting or all the relationship bases. And um, I feel like that was a really meaningful time in our life. And I just want to pause for a second and tag the fact that one of the things I struggle with is I, I never want to tell Susan's story. I mean, she obviously is going to experience, and I don't want to tell my family story or, or another, but I have to tell my piece of the story because it's all I know. Right. So um, I just acknowledge that I want to be super careful there, but as Susan and I uh, did counseling, there were some things that began to be, unearthed in, in our relationship. And there was one point where she acknowledged and she, she very beautifully said to me in the presence of our counselor, I just feel like there's a disconnect with us um, at an intimate level, at a, at a personal level. And I remember leaving that counseling session that day going, wow, what, what was that? What is that? What, what do I, what do I look at? What's, what's real? Because I'm hurting her and I'm not sure why I'm not sure. And I don't want to hurt anybody. That's, that's never been my intention. Um, and so at that point I got my own counselor. Um, and so simultaneously I'm going to multiple counselors and I started a journey of, of kind of discovering some things about myself, asking questions it was one of the first times I felt like I had a super safe place to just say, well, this was going on in my internal landscape. This is what I was feeling. This is what I was thinking. And what I realized after about a year of doing that um, was the particular um, approach that religion gave me was that you don't look at being gay. If that's something that's a reality in your life, and I remember since the time I was seven or so knowing, ah, I'm different. Something's, something's different here. And that's not me rewriting the story. That's me acknowledging the story. Um, but I realized in counseling that I wasn't really given the language to be able to even explore what was, what was true for me. Um, because, and part of it is based in my sister's story. And I asked her, is it okay if I share a little bit? And she said, yes. Um, she's an entirely different personality type than me. Um, I want to talk a little bit later about the Enneagram. Uh, that's something that has been super helpful to me, but anyway, she's a different number. She's a different personality type than me. And she came out when she was 18 in a uncomfortable yet direct way. (laughs) She was like, this is who I am. This is how it's going to be kind of thing. And I remember as a 14 year old, um, my family was really struggling. You know, how do we deal with this? What will the church think? What will the elders say? My dad is a pastor. Like, ah, how do I deal with my own daughter? You know, this whole, and there was very much this, this feeling of, well, let's keep it, let's keep it carefully behind doors. Let's not deal with it in a public way. We don't want to embarrass anybody. We don't want judgment. We, we're not sure what to do. And Behind closed doors, there was some intense language around, you know, hellfire and brimstone (laughs) and that kind of thing. And I remember as a 14 year old, that was the time when I realized this is not, this is not okay to even engage with. And um, 
my personality is one of people pleasing. It's how I've always been. I'm, I'm good at being empathetic. I'm good at listening. I'm good at um, making sure that I make people happy, like do the right thing, be a good boy. And um, I'm reluctant to say this next piece, but I, but I feel like it's relevant. I remember, my dad does not remember, but I remember at that time, my dad sat me down and said something along the lines of, if you have any of those same feelings as your sister does towards the same gender, um, it is not okay. It is not God's will. Get married just, and God will fix it. And in counseling, I, I remembered that as a pivotal moment in my life of, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how it has to be dealt with. This is what's going to happen. And I just set my direction that in that way. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And when my wife wrote that or, you know, communicated to me that she was feeling some disconnect, I feel like the pieces began to come together. And then as I, as I worked through, cause I, <laughs> I know our audience is familiar with, you know, terminology and all those things, but my whole construct of being gay was, well, I don't want to dress up in drag, so I must not be gay, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So in counseling, I wanted to be sure, like, is this some sort of daddy issues? Is this some kind of other thing? Is this because of some trauma that I experienced as a kid? You know, because if I do make a definitive statement of I'm gay, obviously that has implications for my marriage. And, you know, I wasn't currently pastoring, but I still care deeply about the fact that I'm an ordained pastor. And I, I think most of the people that I pastored would say that I did a reasonably good job. Um, And I was, I was afraid of losing all of those things. So for a year I worked through what is this? Mm -hmm. And some people may say, well, that's where you went wrong. You asked questions and you talked to a counselor that opened up things that you should have never talked about. You know, some people would say that. Um, I don't think that that's true. For me, that's, that's not the case. So am I talking too much? <laughs> no, this is great. I mean, you're answering all my questions before I ask them. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went through a time of depression right then because I realized the Bible's pretty clear on not lying. Um, We can have a long discussion on, uh, is it clear on a lot of other things, you know, uh, lifestyle, um, being gay, all of that. Is it clear? What does it mean? Those are longer theological conversations that you and I have spent a lot of time on. (laughs) But in, in that moment, the only thing that was clear to me was, well, it's clear that you're not supposed to lie. And so now that I know this thing about myself, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to talk about it. And so I, in the presence of our counselor that Susan and I had been going with, I picked a day and said, this is, this is what I'm going to tell her. One of the most difficult days Of my life. Yep. Because I had a lot of fear about um, what does this look like? And I didn't, I love her, but I didn't want to hurt her anymore. And um, there was just this impossible decision to be made. And so that was a, that was a tough day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. I'm reluctant to share this too, but it's part of the story. To my surprise, she said, I knew you were going to tell me. And she told me the night before we got married, she heard a voice in the car saying, don't marry him. He's gay. Wow. Wow. I know. Right. And that hit me really in a, in a very, I don't even know the wording for it because, um, in a way, I, f- I felt like other people knew before I did, you know? And again, this comes back to the Enneagram. Um, I, I'm the kind of personality that in a way absorbs other people's energy before my own. And one of the, the things that it, 
as this story has progressed that I felt the most kind of shame about is legitimately people have come to me and said, so you lied, you know, you got married and you lied, you lied to your wife, you, you know, you lied to all of us. I'm worried that church members will feel that I lied. And this isn't me like self-protecting. Um, this is a deep acknowledgement of something that I didn't realize where for my particular personality, and this isn't the same for everyone, um, but I was sitting in a class with the Enneagram and they were talking about nines and, you know, five of the people on the stage were nines and they talked about this dynamic of sort of a, it's not a midlife crisis, but in midlife, many of them, particularly with conservative religious backgrounds, realize, whoa, I am suddenly living this life that was created for me, not necessarily one that I chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, when I learned that and when I heard that, it actually gave me a huge just wave of peace because I can apologize and I can say, I am so sorry for the hurt that I have caused. And I'm so sorry for the lack of self-awareness um, that I had. But I also can be graceful to myself and say, in, in somewhat simplistic terms, I just was trying to be a good boy. I was just trying to do what God wanted, what my parents wanted, what I thought was expected. And when, when I had to let go of that, that was, there was a lot there. Um, so the Neogram gave me that language uh, to be able to, to understand that a little bit more. And so moving forward um, from that day with Susan, was, as you may expect, um, complicated. Um, I'm proud of the fact that, that we took a year and a half to explore, like, what are our options? There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of confusion. We, we wanted to put the kids first. You know, um, we, we continued in counseling, actually. Um, and it, it transitioned because for a while we weren't sure, should we get a divorce? What do we do? You know, um, but in time we, we made the difficult decision. And I remember just, she said, I picked a good one. And so did you, but we have another half of our lives to live. And do we want to, do we want to stay married? Should we stay married if, if it's not consistent with who we are? And so we hugged each other and cried and said, I think, I think this is what we have to do. And so we made very specific plans towards that. Um, we we um, talked with a counselor about the, the most healthy timeline with the kids. Um, we sat the kids down and told them that we were going to be getting divorced, uh, which was a very difficult day as well. Um, but we had a plan in place. You know, the counselor said one of the things that's hardest for kids with divorce is the uncertainty. Yeah. And so we already knew where I was going to be moving to. The kids had already spent some time at that location. We let them know the schedule was not going to be changing. Mommy and daddy both still love you, you know? And so we did some really specific things to just be sure that, you know, their world was not completely upended. And then we maintained a schedule and Susan and I continue. And I'm proud of the fact that we live out here and we don't have, uh, my sister now moves up, lives up in Seattle um, that's a longer story. Her, her wife passed away of cancer during the middle of all of this. Um, but um, Susan and I have continued to work together to make sure the kids are, kids are in a good space. And so for me, it's been a real process of, and Floyd, you can laugh at this because you were one of, the, one of the first people that I called when I started counseling, my individual counseling, because of the, I started to, to figure out and I just have to say thank you to you for the hours, literal hours. My privilege. That you let me verbally process. You let me kind of unpack things without judgment. Um, As you know, I went through years of reading different things, listening to different podcasts, trying to decide am I side A, am I side B? Um, how, How should I be an advocate? Should I be an advocate? Um, does, is God, I've had some people in my life tell me that the fact that I'm now open-minded and affirming of people's uniqueness, um, is representative of the fact that counseling has 
ruined me and that I've been brainwashed and that I am now a representative for Satan. And, you know, I've, I've spent some time working through all of those pieces and ultimately have landed on um, the only option that I can see that's viable is to, is to accept people as they are, because we all are dealing with different things. And one of the things I wanted to talk about today, and this maybe feels like a tangent, Am I talking? I always feel like I talk too much. You're just nodding. And I'll, I'll jump. Oh, I'll jump in when I need to. <laughs> um, is I is the level of unawareness that I've that I've had. You know, there are people that are born, and forgive me, I'm going to use some terminology here, but there are people who are born with ambiguous genitals, right? They're born. Um, there's this fascinating little tribe or little group of people in the Dominican Republic where. They're born girls and then they hit puberty and they literally grow, you know, um, male parts. Yeah. Know? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know. Surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's this, there's this reality that there are people who are either asexual or, you know, fascinating documentaries on people who were born where their parents assigned them gender and then they get older and realize, oh, that was a misassignment, you know? And there are so many things in life, whether it's your sexuality or your, the, your expression of sexuality or your uh, attraction or whatever it is where it is. I, I really love the word spectrum because there is a spectrum of uniqueness. And the thing that, that I began to realize is how much I didn't know about all of these kind of things, how people are so uniquely, and we say this, right? We are uniquely and wonderfully made. And then we quickly say, but not you. That big, but that goes that, into and, that sentence. Yeah. And I've come to realize the level of shame that all of us really carry with things that we would prefer people not know about us. Mm -hmm. Um. And what the what the LGBTIQA plus community um, does is it gives language sometimes around being open minded, and and I've shifted my thinking. And this may sound arrogant, but I think in some ways God is a God of paradox, mm. and I think the queer community is actually amazing in that they're teaching the rest of the church and the rest of the world what it looks like to actually be accepting of people, whether they're fat or thin, um, I should say overweight or, or thin, <laughs> or whether they love themselves, you know, whatever it is, whatever. there's all of these different, and it's fascinating to me that in nature, we love diversity, you know, plants and God is a God of science and beauty and, you know, deserts and rainfall and all of it. But when it comes to being human, mm -hmm. you kind of need to look like this. You need to wear a suit and tie and you need to do look like this. And if you're any variant, then we throw all kinds of absolutely loaded verbiage and judgment on those individuals. And there's so many people living secret and quiet and lives of shame when they, they don't need to. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like I've come to a place where I want to tell my story is because I want to see those people. Right. I feel right. like, and I refer to it as my third conversion. I was hearing the story of a trans individual and actually Floyd, you and I were at this conference years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we landed in Denver. I mm -hmm. think it was the first time I met you. Right. In and, person. Uh, yeah. And I went to that conference because it was a Christian conference and honestly, up to that point, I didn't realize you could be both gay and Christian. Um, and again, I'm not, when I say gay, I'm not saying anything about lifestyle. You can, you can be gay and not practice. You can be gay and who knows what you do in your private time. When I say gay, I just mean, I didn't know that you could be both gay and Christian. And this conference was one that I'd found online. And I thought, well, I want to go research and sit in a room with, with those people and, and, see what that feels like. Mm -hmm. So I flew to Denver and sat in the hotel across the street for five hours, scared to death to walk through the doors because I was pretty <laughs> sure, you know, some alarm at the general conference was going to go off, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Um, and anyway, so I it did go through. What's that? It didn't though. <laughs> well, the alarm went off. <laughs> um, and sat in the first um, first meeting, and it was a story, and I don't remember the 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 guy's name, but I remember thinking it was a trans individual um, who was a pastor. And he just told his story of uh, transitioning. And up to that point, I did not understand. And I realized at a profound level how judgmental I had been. Mm -hmm. And I sat on that back row and tears were coming down my cheeks because I feel like I was converted for the third time. My first time was my baptism when I was 12. Like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm getting baptized. That's what I'm supposed to do. Right. My second time was I was recruiting for Adventist Frontier Missions because I had done mission work with them. And when I came back from the mission field, um, I was going around to camp meetings and I heard a sermon by Ty Gibson and he was talking about what happened at the cross. And I remember it sunk it. I mean, here I am literally, right, coming back from mission work and I'm, I'm understanding grace at mm -hmm. a deeper level. Right. So that was my second one. And then the third one is this one I just described where I realized there are people who have experiences that there is no way that I can understand, and I have no right to judge them for, for what they experience. And the only thing that I can do is I can look at them and say, how can I help? What do you need? Mm -hmm. How can I help alleviate shame in your life? How can I advocate for you? Um, and so that was the beginning, um, that conference and continuing to talk with you that was the beginning of me really dealing with some things, unpacking mm -hmm. things. Um, I slowly came out very intentionally to my family. Um, it's only been about eight months to a year now where I sent some videos to people that have meant a lot in my life in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Some of those people have responded, some have not. I realize everyone has their own life. On my side of the fence, it's been challenging because I... With a non-response, it makes me worry, you know. Right, right. Are you? And so there's there's working through all of those feelings of loss and loss of community. And what if um, I've had some deeply meaningful conversations with conference leaders, people that I've worked with, where where they've affirmed me as a person who's done meaningful ministry. Mm -hmm. They've also acknowledged that in our current uh, structure, um, being fully affirming is, is not, um, mm. well, you can finish this sentence. I'm not sure how to finish it, but <laughs> is, is not where we're at. And I will um, tell you, it's taken me a long time to get to the place where fully affirming is, is what I am. Yeah. Um, and you can I've, say I've, the G word now. What's that? And you can actually say the G word. I can say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I cried so hard the first time I said that, you know. Um, yeah, that was a tough one. Oh, but I have. I've researched some of the other ministries that shall remain nameless because I don't want to I don't want to um, speak poorly of anyone. I think I think people really are trying to do the best they know. <laughs> but I will say I have some sadness around. Um, some of the ministries that I do think are based in judgment. Um, I think there's this underlying um, difficult, nuanced thing to talk about. Um, and we, we use language like identity in Christ or, or, you know, we're not gay, we're identity is in Christ or whatever it may be. And that's very confusing to people. Um, mm -hmm. what, what they need to know is that they're accepted and that all of us have lifestyle things to work through, whether it's what we eat or what we listen to or what we watch, um, that is common to the human experience. And if my identity is, is in Christ or my identity is somehow separate from how I live, you know, the, there's, there's, a, there's a disconnect there that's challenging to talk about. Right. And uh, it makes me, makes me a little sad, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, God created you as a unique individual and not the same as the person, you know, down the road or next to you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. As, as Adventists, I think growing up, we're given a script. We're taught that there is a script, not several, but there is one script. 
Yeah. And the word gay or queer or whatever does not fit into that script. Mm-hmm. And um, we're told that as long as we follow that script, then we have the pearly gates and the golden streets at the end of it mm-hmm. and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so often, you know, if we feel that we don't fit into that script, we either uh, spend our lives trying to mold ourselves or remold ourselves into that and hurting others in the process or we step out of the script and create our own. And uh, I see that that's what you've done, what a lot of people have done. Yeah. And, and so. Well, in that, that deconstruction process, that, that fear of loss of community, it's profound. And there was a time, you know, when I was pretty depressed uh, and I'll admit it, I was borderline suicidal. Um, because of the fear of, and, and honestly, divorce is painful. And, you know, the day I yeah. moved out, I went, I go for a walk every day, but I was thrown up in the bushes, you know, that day because just, oh, I can't believe this is, this is my life and this is what we're doing and this is what's happening. Um, that was hard. But the day that I realized, what if my church has been wrong? What if I have stood on platforms myself as a pastor? and said things that hurt people and was wrong. That to me was equally as painful because we're entrenched with this idea of this is what God wants. This is what we're supposed to be. And, and the fear of not pleasing God and, you know, the rhetoric around some of the, some of the people that I've told my story to, they're like, well, Matt, you're just, you know, you're just deceived now. And we're sad about that, you know, and I don't know how to combat that and, and be able to say, I actually feel closer to God now than I have right. almost in my entire life. And some of the beautiful people that I now know and I'm proud to say are in my community, it feels entirely different um, and absolutely soul filling and healing to be able to actually talk about real life things with people where you don't feel like there's this... Um, possibility of being dismissed or um, those kind of things. And I, I have to say, and I have what I call a tribe. Those of you who are in that, you know who you are. Um, yeah. I'm so profoundly what, grateful. What do you tell people that, that are trying to follow this, this script and are saying, Hey, Matt, you just, didn't quite pray enough and your faith wasn't quite there. Yeah. I mean, that hurts, but what do you, that's what I hear a lot. So what do, what do yeah. you, what do you have to tell those people? Two things come to mind as you ask that question. And, and one is I myself was there years ago, mm-hmm. you know, it was just what I knew. Um, and I think people who ask that question, I want to believe is coming from a sincere place in them, you know, um, the, the second part of that answer is I've come to, to deeply believe and Floyd, you told me I could do a little bit of self-promotion, but I feel like this is a maybe appropriate time to do it. Sure. I've started a website, mattsegabart.com, um, where I talk about the Enneagram. I, I do individual coaching. I got certified as a spiritual uh, director. Um, and what I would tell people to answer your question is it's important to look at what's real. It's not selfish. It's not wrong to ask questions about how you experience life. Um, and your experience is going to be unique to you and God, I can't pretend to speak for God. One of my, my favorite quotes now is I'd rather have um, questions I can't answer than answers I can't question. Say that again. I'd rather have questions I cannot answer than answers that I cannot question. Cool. And I feel like that's the shift for me. I used to be as an Adventist pastor. I know the 28 fundamentals. I have a degree but I used to be afraid somebody would come to my office and present me with a problem that I didn't know the answer to. Mm, 
You know, like, I don't know the scripture that, that addresses that unique thing that you're struggling with, you know, um, this may feel like a tangent, but it feels relevant to me. My, my grandpa had MS um, and he was an elder in his church. And sometimes in order for him to have the energy to preach for the day, right? Um, he would drink a little bit of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and the story is, is he was riddled with guilt. How can God bless my sermon? When I am, um, you know, drinking, you know, unholy beverages, you know, that kind of thing. And I just realize all of us have variations of that same kind of story where it's not, it's not dismissing the fact that, yes, there's right and wrong. But we each have nuances to our own experience and our own life and our own physiology and, and all of it that is, is worthy of being looked at. And one of the most damaging things I think I've discovered is this, this religious view that it is selfish to ask questions. Oh, now you're, now you're, you know, gay pride, which I honestly, I struggle with that. The word pride, we're not supposed to be prideful, right? right. Um, what does that even mean? But what I've come to understand, and yes, some of the pride parades and all of that, there is a contingent of representatives at those that do not represent all of us. You know, um, there's, there's, as in with every human, there is a broad array of, of, you know, behaviors and all of it. Um, but at the end of the day, we are fearfully and uniquely and wonderfully made. And when we're able to give ourselves compassion and understanding, when we operate from that place, I'm not afraid anymore. When people come to my office for counseling or for coaching, I don't have a lot of answers, but I do know that in the presence of not being judged, people can find some healing and some peace and some language around um, relationship challenges and spiritual challenges and if we ever think that we can speak for God, who we believe is infinite, you know, I mean, how can I ever presume to say that I know what God says is right for you? Right. Um, so I've walked both lines of that. I know there's the idea of it's a slippery slope. You know, once you start, then anything goes. There has to be black and right. If you say anything goes, then what did Jesus die for? You know, there is. And I understand all of that. And the thing that is profound to me is I've found in the gay and trans community, the, the friends that I have anyway are asking amazingly meaningful questions about how can I make a difference? How can I live my life in a better, more meaningful way? It's not about debauchery. For some, maybe some choose, you know, whatever they want, you know, that's fine. And that's a strong word. And forgive me, I don't mean to even have judgment around um, what some would call being sex positive. But um, what I found is that as, a, as an overarching rule, the, the queer community is absolutely um, amazing in their ability to teach me about what it, what it looks like to be accepting. There's a lot of honesty there coming there from is. the community. Yeah. And a yeah. huge amount of healing that I think the church needs to learn from. Um, but if somebody tells you, hey, but the Bible is clear. It's very simple, clear. There's no questioning. Yeah, I've heard that so many times. Do you feel it's clear? Again, I have two answers to that. I think the Bible's clear on fear. The Bible's clear on judgment. You know, we're all riddled with fear, and the Bible talks at least 365 times about fearing not. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible's pretty clear on judgment. It's pretty clear on love. Um, there's a lot of things that it's not clear on. Um, again, as it relates to, to individual persons, mm -hmm. you know, I, again, I mean, no judgment on this, but you can, 
you can be an elder in the church and have all kinds of addictions, food addictions, or as long as you keep it behind the scenes. But the minute I say, guys, I've, I've been gay since the time I was little. I just didn't have words for it. Mm -hmm. Um, The minute I say that, I'm in danger of losing my ordination and being told that, that I'm headed to hell. Right. And to me, that's unclear. The Bible, as you know, and this is a whole different podcast. And honestly, there's many resources on kinship. There's many resources available. Um, But even the word homosexual wasn't in the Bible till 1946, as you know, um, there are so many things I did not know the, the six clobber verses, five of them have nothing to do with and arguably six. And again, I don't, we're, I'm looking at the time we, we can't go into, right. but is the Bible clear? I think it's clear on some things. And I also think that there's definite room for nuance on other things, mm-hmm. um, and open-mindedness for humans. Why can't we all just be human and experience life in its own uniqueness? Um, We, we know that it's true. We don't deal with our own and I'm going to get on soapbox here. So you'll have to stop me, but we don't deal with our own um, stereotypes. You know, there's, there's this idea. and, And I struggle with this with my kids. One of the reasons why I did come out is, and I've told my kids now that was a, that was another stage. But um, if it is genetic, nature, nurture, I don't know. But let's say one of my kids is. You know, I want them to know, no matter what, I love you. I am there with you, um, and I don't want to propagate or, or perpetuate the the stereotypes of you know if if a woman wears more manly clothes, then somehow she's evil or vice versa, right? Even the clothes we wear is cultural, but religion is the first to say that, well, you need to adhere to being culturally, you know, wear the right outfit. And that's, that's cultural. That's not mm-hmm. biblical. And forgive me, but sometimes in a, in a passing sort of joking way, I'll say, well, Jesus wore a dress, <laughs> you know? I mean, right. again, culturally, and, and I know, forgive me, I'm not trying to, to hackle or, or raise anybody's feathers. I, the last thing I want to be is controversial, but we don't, I had a friend of mine recently talk about, you know, some of their favorite TV shows. Now there's a gay person, you know, on that TV show. And why do I have to have this, this gay agenda shoved down my throat all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and there was a time when I would have agreed with that. But now I feel like, so when you go to the grocery store, you do realize that seven to 10% of the people in that grocery store are probably gay, right? Or somewhere on the queer spectrum. Right. Should we clear out the grocery store before you arrive because you don't want th- those people to be in your presence? I mean, I get it. Hollywood has its own version of, and again, the more interesting personalities are the ones that get put in front of the screen. You know, but the, the, you see what I'm saying? And so Mm -hmm. don't challenge our own stereotypes, whether it's clothing or, you know, media or uh, Hollywood or whatever. We just sort of accept that. But then as conservative religious people, we, we have a mixed message. Yeah. Growing up, I I wish we had had uh, queer representatives on TV or, or wherever in the media because then I could have had a role model or someone to, yeah, to sure. at least compare to and look at and, and decide, you know, um, I'm like this person, but I'm not like that person kind of thing. And even in the church, I mean, there, mm-hmm. we grew up without, well, there was a real void, a vacuum there of, of any role models that, that fit our picture. Yeah. And so we tried to uh, fit ourselves into someone else's uh, mold and it just didn't fit. It mm-hmm. just didn't fit for us. Uh, you mentioned enneagrams. Mm-hmm. What is that exactly? So, um, can I tag one thing before? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Certainly. <laughs> um, I know you're the interviewer. Um, <laughs> I just want to say, be, 
joining a minority group was another major difference for me. And again, as a, you know, white picket fence, white male married with kids, all of it, I, I felt that. And then I think people had fear for me, right? Like my safety, if you come out as gay, then you're going to instantly. So I think that's valid. There's some fears around it, but also it was a major piece of the learning for me um, is, is what it feels like to then become a minority group. And again, now when I see people represented on movies, this is a tag from what we were just talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, like you were saying, role models, I feel a level of peace in that, okay, there's a person that actually represents me, represents a version of me that I actually think is right. And, and all of that. So I think that's an important piece that we recognize as well as if you haven't walked the path, you can't understand it. And even me, I'm, I'm figuring out this life journey, but for much of my life, I didn't understand. And I um, actually represented misrepresented. And so I'm grateful for the learning journey that I've been on. So I just wanted to tag that. Um, the Enneagram is, it's been around for a long time. A um, couple thousand years, uh, as I understand it. Um, so it's not witchcraft, is it? It is not. However, when you initially look at the graph, it could look a little bit like a pentagram. So okay, <laughs> no association there. Um, And there are some who, you know, again, with yoga or whatever, you know, we have these conservative viewpoints that don't get anywhere near that. But I know for me, stretching is a good thing. I'm getting older and it's good. Mm -hmm. Um, The Enneagram for me, as I mentioned, has been life changing. And what it is, ultimately, is a spiritual tradition of its storytelling, basically, at its core. Um, But as, as I've been trained in it, it actually has to do with understanding the fruits of the spirit, really. Um, there are one through nine, there's numbers. Um, there's a lot of complexity to it. There's the number, then each number has a wing. Then every number, you know, uh, when they're feeling um, in a good place, they they represent different, different things. So anyway, I, I can't teach on all of that right now, but at the right. end of the day, what the Enneagram has done for me is, Our strengths carried to extremes become weaknesses, okay? And one of the things that we do as humans, what we do as church members, as business owners, as whatever, is we often, we see our own view as the right view, the correct view. And what the Enneagram has done for me is is it's given me language around the nine different personalities that all go out into the world expressing the fact that they're right, and we all get in these fights of your, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. And the Enneagram has given me language to be able to acknowledge, like, for example, eights are challengers. That's, that's just the nature of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned that earlier with my sister, right? So she's a challenger. I'm a nine, which is a peacemaker. So her strengths carried to extremes become weaknesses. It's great that she's a challenger, but also on the receiving end of her challenging, and her and I can laugh about this, sometimes it's not so fun, right? right. Me, I'm a peacemaker, which is a wonderful thing. Um, many times the compliment I would get as a pastor, whether I was leading a board meeting or preaching or whatever, is that I have a peaceful demeanor, you know, that just creates a safe place for everyone. You know, that comes from my Enneagram. But as I've described in this um, interview, being a peacemaker actually became the thing that kept me from showing up in my own life. Because if I actually talked about my internal landscape, um, it wouldn't go well. Right. And I was not given permission to do that. And so um, every one of the numbers has that. There's a two that's a giver, which is a great thing, but sometimes givers give too much and they mm-hmm. give with strings attached. There's covert contracts, you know, when, and we get in these arguments of, well, I've done nothing but give to you. And, um, you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. And, and in churches, we do that. Well, we need to serve. We, you know, all the twos are standing over in the corner saying we need to have service ministries. We need to. And those of you that are not in the service ministries, well, you know, God's not quite as pleased with you. Mm, um, right. There are literally fives who are researchers who are sitting at home quietly researching. 
and they're doing, they're playing their part in the, as we say, body of Christ, right? That's the religious mm-hmm. lingo for that. Um, ones, incidentally, are perfectionistic. And the way that can play out in a church setting, I personally believe that conservative churches often have a lot of ones and twos. There's a lot of givers, let's serve. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ones because ones like to be right. And their gift to the world, literally, is being right, whether it's mm-hmm. doing it correctly or, you know, cleaning something correctly or being organized or researching the theology or whatever it is. And they genuinely feel like the service I am giving to the world is, is giving them truth. Right, and right. they also get a little offended if you come back and say, well, I see that differently. And they're yeah. like, well, me and God are right. And I don't know what your problem is. Yeah. Um, and so the Enneagram has really just given me some, some language around um, all of that um, that's helped me honestly have a lot more compassion for myself and for others. Mm-hmm. Because I ultimately absolutely firmly believe that all of us are important and valuable and contribute something meaningful to this existence on yeah. planet Earth. And, and make some sense of it. Yeah. Make yeah. some sense of it and build community and have long lasting uh, relationships and to be able to live in messy situations, you know, with complexity. You know, mm-hmm. I love some of the, the stories of friends that I have that, um, you know, they're, they're best friends with their ex-wife, you mm-hmm. know, still, even though they've walked through this difficult place, I've, I've longed for some of those same outcomes. And I hold hope with some of my extended family and everything where in time, I hope we can mend and heal and come to an understanding um, mm-hmm. and, and really um, I'm super, I wouldn't say the last years have been profoundly painful and there's a lot of grief and hurt and I, it has not been fun, but I have come to a place where I am grateful for the things that I've learned. I am. And I think you told me this in one of our conversations six years ago, (laughs) five years ago, Matt, there will come a time when you, and I'm still reluctant to say it, but you'll be, glad that you're gay because it will teach you a lot about yourself and others and you will have some understanding and that back then i don't think i believed you um but i'm getting there (laughs) good (laughs) i can see that i can see that yes you have a smile on your face now so that that is good so yeah so the the enneagrams just real quick on those sound really fascinating and interesting um Mm -hmm. if anyone's interested they can contact you and you can help them with your, like through your coaching counseling Absolutely. Uh, yep. uh, website there. I do. They can come to my website. I do an initial three session. This is what I've done where I'll talk with them a little bit, talk a little bit more in depth. Some of the things that I just have. Then the second session is actually a, a, a survey that they take. A, it's about an hour long where they fill out some things. And then the third one is we talk about the results and what the implications of that may be in their church or family or relationships. And then from there, I'm wanting actually, and I live in such a beautiful place where, and at my facility, I have the condo where I live, there's a community room that seats up to 50 people. So in time, I'm actually wanting to do regular, um, like maybe a yearly Enneagram get together or spiritual support get together uh, with people who have journeyed through the process and have others there to talk with. And, and then literally it's right here on the Columbia river where we can maybe get a kayak out or something. So that's, that's partly what I'm doing, um, with, with the next phase or the next chapter of my life is, is, uh, working with that. So what's your website again? MattSegabart.com. That's with two T's. M A T T. S-E-G-E-B-A-R-T-T. Okay. Segabart.com. Two T's on each word. Correct. Yes. Um, Or Congruency Quest. I actually have both of those domains, but there was a time when I wanted that. So through Facebook, it's actually Congruency Quest, but it leads you to the same place. Um, So there is a Facebook group with my spiritual direction that you can like, and I occasionally put out some things there as well. Good, good. Well, as we wind down here today, uh, I think we could do several podcasts and uh, and still not cover everything. Uh, it's been really good. Um, 
obviously, as a pastor, you're not the only queer pastor in the Adventist church. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you tell someone who's listening who has maybe some doubts or doesn't know, mm-hmm. you know, am I gay? Am I bi? Am I curious? Am I straight? Am I being deceived by the devil? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I the only one in the whole denomination that feels this way? Um, what advice or what words can you share with them? You know, the answer that's coming to mind is, is just the phrase, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And I would tell you, you're not alone. I would tell you, be cautious with the resources that you, um, again, do what I did, research all of it, you know, talk to different ministry leaders, figure out um, all of the, I didn't know all of this terminology, side A, side B, you know, the realization of there is a spectrum from being kind of antagonistic to supportive, to actually being an ally, to being an advocate. You know, a lot of people shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, I'm supportive of the gay community. They don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is, one, you're not alone. Two, talk to the right people. Research it. Research it. Be open-minded. If we believe that the great controversy is true, um, the idea of making choice is, in fact, something that God values. Mm-hmm. Um, and so make an informed choice and talk to people, um, find a safe place. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's connected to my ministry. One of the things that I found is there are a lot of pastors, there are a lot of ministry leaders, there are a lot of people who, at the conference level, division level, you know, union level, who actually would be advocates and allies, but they're afraid that they will lose their job if they, if they do. And some of you may say, well, that's an integrity issue. Some of them may say, but every movement um, that, that is worthwhile has its progression. And so I would say, if you're in a position to make a difference, make a difference mm-hmm. and reach out. And there are a lot of confidential kind, caring, informed people that are available to you. Kinship has a ton of resources and they take their ministry seriously. Uh, and I value that. Reach out and uh, talk to somebody. That would be, that would be my, and, and to recognize when you, you're here and you think you want to go here, when you're in that middle ground, it can feel really unstable. And it's scary. Who do I depend? Who can I trust? What if I tell somebody that my, my kid is trans, you know, what if I, what if I'm, I don't know who, who can handle that much information and it can feel very um, unsettling. Um, But I will tell you there is hope because I was in that unsettled place for a long time, but over on this side, Brene Brown talks about it, braving the wilderness. You know, when you leave the bunker, there's this no man's land and you're not sure if you're going to get shot at. You're not sure if you're alone. You're not sure what's going on. But when you get out into the forest outside, there are all these beautiful camps of people that you can, you can rely on, you can trust and they will help heal your soul. And one of the ministries that I would love to have is some sort of fund that helps people in that transition phase where they're like, look, I'm pastoring. And I would love to become an affirming pastor, but I don't know how, because I need health insurance. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I would love to be able to start a nonprofit fund that says, all right, we will help you for a year to, to rebuild a career. Cause it's one of the, one of the regrets I have is not regrets. Again, I don't, I don't regret what I've learned and and the life I've lived, Mm -hmm. but I wish I'd have gotten a business degree also because I'm still paying student loans on a religion degree now from a, from a church that let's face it, I can't pastor in anymore. Wow. Um, So yeah, there's hope and there is a future. Talk to the right people. Cool. Cool. There is life afterwards and a good life. Yes. So, yeah. So I, I I have a a really strong suspicion that we're going to be talking some more and doing some more interviews, hopefully with you. Glad to help. Uh, there's talk. a lot of things to, to cover and to talk about and to uh, say, hey, you know, someone is not the only one thinking about this. There are other people 
that are affected by it. So, so cool. Well, thank you, Matt. We appreciate it and uh, very much. And you are so, so welcome in Floyd again. Just thank you to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. This, no, my, my privilege. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My privilege. So thanks, Matt. And thanks everyone for sharing with us today. We hope that today's podcast was interesting and has given our listeners something to think about. Uh, Seventh-day Adventist Kinship is the only LGBTQIA plus affirming community uh, for current and former Adventists. We welcome not only the Rainbow Adventist members, but also parents and family members who want to learn more about how to support their loved ones and be supportive allies to stand with us and make a difference in our church and our world. You can check us out on the web at sdakinship.org or follow us on social media at sdakinship. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me. And if you want to share something with Matt, I'll be happy to forward it on to him. Just send a message to info at sdakinship.org. We look forward to having you with us on an upcoming podcast. So thanks and have a good day.